0: For two plus decades now, Blue October has been stirring audiences. We've watched, followed, and loved them from the early beginnings of hate me to whatever they show us tomorrow. We bleed blue, and many of us have used that blue blood and this amazing music to get through our own experiences. It's always been there. Welcome to Just Sway, the blue experience, where your host, Lucas Peterson, takes on and shares everything Blue October. Let's Just Sway.
1: Personal art, we've got these times of our lives. Let's take this time to let it show. Come on, these are with the long-anticipated wide release of the documentary Get Back Up on the Short Horizon. I was extremely fortunate enough to get an inside look behind the film with director Nori Niven. A longtime director of commercials and music videos, you'll hear how Nori's work on this extensive project has taken him from a longtime fan of the band and the music to one of Justin Furstenfeld's biggest cheerleaders of sorts. My name is Lucas Peterson and welcome to Just Sway Inside Get Back Up with Nori Niven. I'm not going to give too much of a preview on this episode because it's a little longer than most and I want to get right into it. I will say that it struck me as very ironic that while Nori and I met up to talk last July, I have held on to this episode until now because I wanted to release it around the same time as the documentary. So, I didn't get fully into the audio editing until right in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. And while doing so, listening to two people talking amid the music and background noise of a busy Dallas coffee shop, I was ironically comforted by the sounds underneath our voices. It was a bit of a glimpse back into normalcy, certainly something we've all been searching for these past few months in 2020. So while technically I would have preferred to probably have had this chat in a proper studio, looking back on it I'm happy with the way it reminded me of the fact that peace is possible in what seems like chaos. Please remember if you enjoy Just Sway do me a favor and leave a rating or a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you haven't done so yet, hit that little subscribe button and you'll automatically be notified when a new episode is available. You can also follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for Just Sway Show. Tag the show for your friends to see or feel free to drop me a note. I love talking more about the podcast or anything Blue October. I would also like to say thank you for coming back as this is the first episode I've released in a bit of time, so I greatly appreciate that you're here and ready to listen to this episode. With all of that said, please enjoy this episode as we welcome Nori Niven to Just Sway. If I could be good enough, then I could just blow. You know, that's one thing I wanted to touch on, and this might be jumping ahead, but when I was watching the movie, and I think I said that when I was talking to Jason, I didn't notice the music. And I don't know if, that's, if you take that as a compliment or not, but the visuals and the story and what was going on were so connecting to
0: me that I don't think I heard the music. And I heard you say that in the, in the podcast. And ironically, I was a few minutes late walking into the coffee shop because I was on uh, the phone with the, uh, the music audio mixer in LA at Sony who's doing the film, and Eric Holtz with Blue October, um, trying to find one last track of music that we really needed for a particular scene. And we had a, a placeholder in, and this is a scene you haven't seen yet. Um, and it just didn't work, and I, I couldn't figure it out. And so finally, l- literally on my drive over, I listened to this one track off the new album. And it's just the the music stems and the and non lyrics, you know, just the um, um, just the, the 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 music and the melody, and we're, so we're using it, uh, which is great and which is wonderful about having a band that owns their own music, yeah, because they're able to apply that. So we will have some music that won't even be released you know to the public yet in the film Which going be exciting that's so
1: cool yeah what a great i mean like you said earlier what a great marketing tool for them it's a great avenue for them to show their music with his story yeah so take me back to where this started six years ago right right around 2013 oh. 2012
0: yeah. or longer longer yeah all right let's hmm. go i had a uh a production company here in Dallas for a long time, and I used to do music videos. And I was repped in a uh, with a production company in L.A. Zack Snyder and I were the first two directors of the company uh, who did Superman and you know all these amazing films. And he, um, uh, so I came out of that uh, with you know some you know music videos, and I uh, met Paul uh, Nugent here. And he had a band, and he said, hey, check this out, you know, can you do a music video? And at the time, I was like, wow, you know, on film, things just were so expensive. And I wound up doing a a music video, and it was up for New Artist Video of the Year on MTV, so it got a lot of buzz, and Paul's like, oh, shoot, you know, uh, I'm going to bring you everything I can now. And so when he first signed Blue October, he called me, he goes, come over, you got to listen to this music, you got to hear this band, it's killer, Um, and I started writing for them, which... Is its own could be its own film. I could do this hysterical story of my journey with this band of writing treatments and writing treatments and writing treatments and never getting a single video because here's what happens. You record your album, especially with Universal in L.A. You go in the studio, you go to your mix, you do all the hard work, and then during this process, they introduce you to their three music video directors. Now, just like if you say we're building homes, And you had subcontractors that were really good with drywall or concrete. Those would be the guys you call. Sure. Because you know they're going to deliver. You know they're going to make the the wall in the house. And and they're going to pay their subcontractors. No one gets sued. The homeowner's happy. Everyone's happy, right? That's why these three or four directors were getting all of the work in the 90s, right? While we were still looking at music videos on MTV. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And... So there was no way I was going to be, you know, included in that that group because it's this this entity out in Texas. Why would we want to use some guy with a production company we don't know, right? Um, and meanwhile, you know, I'm I'm doing national work and Super Bowl commercials uh, all over the place. So at the end of the uh, of the day, I finally resigned myself just to say, okay, I'm I'm getting to listen to some of this music for the first time, right? I'm hearing it before it gets, um, you know, put on a record. I'm um, in having a, a great time creating these visuals in my imagination. And I'm sharing that with Justin and the band. You know, Ryan and I talked about it when we were filming the documentary. I said, you remember the Into the Ocean treatment that I wrote? He goes, oh, yeah, dude, that would have been amazing, <laughs> right? So all of those components have been part of my relationship with them. So it's, it's a God thing, right? So that music and this band were placed into my life as soon as Paul and Swin signed on as management for them. So that education has been a really important component for me in my love of Justin's lyrics and my um, affinity for what they want and what their visuals, you know, what. What is it that, that they love? Like the first music video I, I shot for them will never be seen. Um, and it's not because it wasn't a great video. It had a really cool concept. Like gyro-stabilized cameras were brand new. And we had a shot that followed Justin from the dressing room, from the green room, uh, backstage all the way out onto stage. He goes flies across the crowd. Comes back to Justin mid song. He walks off stage, signs a few autographs, gets in a limousine. The camera never cuts, continues singing in the limousine, gets out of the limousine, steps to a helicopter, and we fly away, right? All in one take. Wow. Right? Um, and rightfully so, Justin said, You know, this makes us look like we're some you know, pompous giant rock band. And as much as I love the video and as much as I love the content and what we did, um, you know, maybe on paper, it just didn't, you know, I, I didn't see that because I put them on a higher pedestal. So I thought, well, yeah, it'll be, it wasn't a limousine. It was a, a really cool car, but you didn't know that. And then, you know, the helicopter aspect to me was just a really magnificent way to sort of just, you know, narratively, Take you out of the context of the performance. You know, you don't know where he's going. It just seemed like inception to me. Like, I love the scene in Tokyo with oh, yeah. the helicopter. Right? I, I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. So, to me, that's where I was. And, okay. But at the end of the day, I, I misread what they wanted and what they needed, really, for their, for, and their connection to their audience, you know, to their family, wasn't about, hey, this is cool. It, it was about the nonverbal just you know roll your sleeves up sort of connection to their fan base and and that's what i learned through that process i was like oh okay well again it took time and money and blood and sweat for me to to figure all of this out and to get to know and to love them so by the time he had come out of rehab and he and i shot fear together on the beach way north of malibu we got it all figured out. I knew it needed to be simple. It needed to be all about Justin. It needed to be about him emoting and he needed a private space for that. We met at three o'clock in the morning, an uh, empty parking lot and um, we you know climbed down to the secluded part of this beach and there had been an earthquake in Mexico that morning. So we got unusually high tides and okay. waves. Um, another God thing, you know. You can't yeah. explain that stuff. And we spent a few hours, you know, sh- shooting and reshooting those performances and sort of feeling it and getting our way out into the water and nearly drowning him. And then, and um, we're climbing out. And I said, Justin, I go, "What are you going to do now, man?" And he's like, "What do you mean?" I go, "Now that you're, now that you're in this place, right? Now that you found God, what are you going to do?" and we talked about it later you know he's like wow that was a really emotional important spiritual moment for me because he's now in, tr- in, in, in charge of that he's been put upon to be this vessel of you know he was hypocritical at one point when he was preaching about or singing about not doing sober right. three months yeah. yeah which he said yeah. yeah he's talked about it and I know you've done all your homework and you've been to the open <laughs> book <laughs> um so, I mean, you know, we, it was just such a moment of clarity for he and I both, you know, and both on our own journeys to, uh, you know, have that. And, and what we got from that video, which just got 10 million views, I by saw the way, last week yeah. um, was, you know, how can I make this into a film? How can we take the content of the spirituality of the visuals of his message and expand that into something larger. And we had we'd started. The uh, Paul and Swin had called me um, and said you know, about seven years ago, and said we'd like to do a concert video like "Argue with a Tree." We want to do a follow up. And so I, I uh, King Hollis, who's uh, uh, my partner and an amazing director on his own, had shot that. Um, and so we had had that connective tissue and Michael Caine and Melina and all these people friends of mine and worked with me and michael was in my wedding and so we were it's you know this incestuous group of dallas uh, filmmakers and we've all known about it known each other so um i said no paul i'm not i'm not doing a, a concert video you know I'm, I'm beyond that in my career i said why don't we take your 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 effort and your time and your money and let's shoot the heart of the documentary let's shoot killer a killer performance where we can mine and extract parts of those performances because you know they're best in concert Mm -hmm. they're best on a stage and the only thing i had seen of them on a stage was you know whether user generated video or even argue with a tree they had everything they could get but i thought no i gotta i gotta want to see the audience i want to feel the audience and i want to have a camera six inches from his face and I had to do that. I go. I want to have that camera right in his face because he's a performer, and I wanted to capture that so that we could take the essence of that and and weave it as the skeleton behind the structure that I felt like we could pull off for a music doc. Here's my problem with music documentaries, and I love them. I religiously, you know, watched all everyone I can get my hands on. If they don't have music, it's not compelling. Uh, Scorsese did a great one on George Harrison just a few years ago, and it made a ton of festivals and got a lot of notoriety. It is non-musical. It's, it's all the stuff that the, the the George Harrison and the Beatles fans want to know, and it's great stories and unseen clips and interviews, and fantastic. But I didn't get any music. Sure. You know? um, whereas... The Eagles documentary or the Stones documentary, Scorsese did, is too much music well, and not enough narrative.
1: <laughs> the Eagles one is like six hours long, isn't it? It's right. It's
0: quite long. But the problem with the Eagles thing, um, in all uh, due respect to uh, to them and to Dallas, like Don Henley, and I, it came off as a, as a marketing piece to me. Those seem to like commercials for the band, unlike, say, an Amy Winehouse doc, which is so brilliant and amazing and is rich with her music and you respect her as an artist after you watch that film. And I think you'll get that from this film with Justin. Like if you don't know anything about him, and I've shown it to a lot of people who don't know anything about him purposely um, of different ages uh, from, you know, my my 14-year-old to a, um, uh, a, a woman I'm, I'm, I'm working with here in Dallas. on a documentary and a film producer in LA, you know, all different eclectic people um, and they've, they've all come away with a genuine love for Justin, a genuine love for this music they didn't know. We're filming the um, Hotel Cafe open book in Hollywood, well, uh, not just last summer. We also shot it about five years ago as well. And we're in the venue. And I've got a, a cinematographer who's a, a dear friend of mine. He, he was a teenager and worked on the original Willy Wonka, Ray Peschen. He's a brilliant German. Wow. Very veteran who shares the oscar on jfk with bob richardson an amazing uh, cinematographer a great friend so i've got him on uh, a camera on that open book operating and justin's in a really emotional place in the story and he's talking about something and I always do a visual check with Ray, right? I give him an eye, and I check over, and I look, and he's got, his face is wet, tears. He's crying like a baby, right, listening to Justin. Wow. And I'm on the clear calls I'm like, dude, make sure you're focused. Make sure you're in focus, Ray. <laughs> I know you're crying, just to make sure it's in focus. So he came away, moved and changed after that that one show. And so many people d- that don't know the band, you know, that's all they need. All they need is to, to, to dip their... Their toes in the pool, and they'll feel the energy and the love and the and the rawness and the humor. You know, all of that. It's it's no bullshit. It's really magical what he brings. And so, um, they came to me and they wanted to do this concert. So we felt like I felt like we could use the concert as a as the as the foundation of a film and then go from there. What's really unique about the situation that I'm in is that we've been given some time, and Justin was all over that. He was like, oh, dude. They're going to be pressuring you. They're going to want the video. They're going to want the documentary done now. And they did. And then they, you know, the pledge music fiasco and all of that because, you know, they're business people, and that's the way they think. But Justin saw the, uh, the potential for the artistry and having perspective. So when he just got out of rehab, I interviewed him. And interviewed his family, and a lot of that content is in the film. but it wasn't right for me, right? So i I go out Salt Lake City and I sit with Justin again, really kind of alone and away from a film crew, just a sound man and myself and I. and and um, and that was you know, about a year or two later. And I got a different perspective. like things seemed to change with him from being right out of rehab and then having a little bit of perspective. So I thought, well, Let's give him more time, right? So we still shot, and we did pieces, and, and shot this, scene. and and then even after the screening that you saw, I sat down with him again. So we had another day. Oh uh, wow! So just recently, yeah, in the last two months, yeah, wow, yeah. And then uh, Kaboo, we shot that concert out at uh, Cowboy Stadium, and then we were able to you know sort of have that sense of perspective. So there's a weird sense of maturity and honesty that he has now that he didn't have then that he was guarded with and was still trying to sort it out you could look at him and you're like no he hasn't figured this out yet he's not clear on this yet and thank god for the open book tour because he was able to kind of process mm. and uh, um, never thought of it that way but I mean, man is that an interesting take on that it's therapy for him that show is therapy for him And you can watch him in the subtlety, especially the way we filmed it, where you will see, you know, his his emotion during the hotel cafe show in Hollywood. Um, where He's like, hey, it's my band. You know, I'm making the decisions here. I'm telling you guys, you know, uh, during any man in America, you know, that he's saying, you know, he's being selfish and he's talking to you like that. But you see it in his eyes like you can feel that. Moment in his life, he was being so horrible to his bandmates and to his uh, family. Um, and give it. A, I mean, who can do this? Who can put himself out or herself out like this and not just say, oh, just screw it, I'm done. I, I can't even face this." Right? And then to not only that, but to embrace it. You know, he did this interview in in um, um, in Germany, in Munich, this year after he'd seen the first rough cut, where he was just completely destroyed right because there was a lot of stuff he hadn't planned on hearing because he hadn't heard it it before he hadn't heard his brother uh talk about what he'd done to him or he hadn't seen matt talk about you know the fact that he had to write a letter during um, the worst time of his life ever where they were born with a down syndrome child yeah um the same Day or two later, he's writing letters to Justin and showing up at this intervention when you really, you know, he needed to be home with his wife, where they really needed him. So, um, Justin, you know, had that perspective from seeing his bandmates and his family, you know, talking about that. You know, it has to be so therapeutic for him now, but also empowering, right? Must be, yeah.
1: Where he is now, yeah, comparatively, because there's a. a, a documented version of this journey it, empowering is a great word for it probably just barely
0: touches on it yeah I mean who who which artist in the world writes autobiographically about themselves in such a way I mean some I guess you could say um, you know I mean like I mentioned Amy Winehouse you who's know, surely, sh- but even then her music goes off and goes in different tangents and isn't necessarily about her her life day to day but if you examine all the songs, it's autobiographical, right? I mean, all the way back to you know, the beginning of his, his genius. Um, nowhere else. I don't know, you know, no artist I know that I follow or love necessarily in popular music um, has done that. And I that is, to me, such a compelling thing for a filmmaker. You're like, what? Are you kidding me? This guy? Oh, and, oh, and he sold a million records? Two million records? and they, And he's he's singing about himself. Oh, and he's suffered from mental illness and he's had all this stuff going on. And yet the band is still together. How does that even happen? You know? Yeah. We got immediately compared to loud, crazy love, uh, which is a, a documentary on corn on the lead guitarist in corn. who also suffered from, um, addiction, not mental illness, but addiction in his relationship with his daughter that was raised during their concert tours, which I didn't even know had premiered at Dallas international last year. um, it doesn't really you know it doesn't really compare, like we looked at it now, um, and it doesn't it's not even the same story it's not even in the It's not even in the same wheelhouse from what we're doing so to my point is, even if you've found your typical rocks drug addiction, you know potential suicide uh, off the rails, bands over now story, it ain't this one <laughs> yeah. This one's different because it's his story and he's so connected to his fan base through his suffering and his family through his suffering. It's just this almost uh, biblical type of story that you just can't, uh, you couldn't script it. Like, you know, no one would believe it if this was a movie Yeah, he'd written. You know? His life in general,
1: right? It's just like, yeah. this is, uh, it's amazing. I feel and I know there's other people and you're probably one of them yourself, feel so blessed like that we do have this in our time, in our lifetime. And it's right there. It's right in front of us. We have the ability to share in these moments with this incredible band and this incredible man and his immense talent. And I know that's putting a really, really small uh, description on it, but it's so true. And I can feel... The cool thing about sitting with you here right now, I can feel you getting emotional, talking about this, and you've been working on it for so long. Oh, yeah. When you're sitting there there in those interviews, and this is something I struggle with too, when people are sharing this stuff, how do you keep it together? How do you not feel with them? or, or I mean, I'm sure you do.
0: You're human, but... Oh, no. Yeah, no. We, we um, you know, every time you've seen Justin cry on, on film, I'm crying too. So we're, we're crying together. Um, you know, there's a couple of things he says that you just... Uh, I had blocked them out of my mind, and, um, and years later, you know, we're in the edit bay, and it's just this last uh, spring, and I walk in, and Ed um, Harris says, come here, you got to see this, right? So he cut this sequence together, and it was something I, I had filmed, and I had not remembered it, like I couldn't remember that moment because it was too painful for me, um, and it's something that I had experienced maybe in my life um, that was just too hard for me to look back on. That Justin shared, and so something happened, and just like you know, a bad dream, you just your brain cuts it out. And I, and so when I saw it, I was like, holy crap! I mean, this is so good and so difficult and so beautiful uh, all at the same time. So we, you know, we, there were things that happened that, you know, the editors went back and, and figured out, you know, because they were, you know, it's painful, it's painful, you're there. You know, Spielberg, I know he did, had uh, a new camera, uh, DP, on Schindler's List. And so there's a scene when um, I think the guy's holding a gun to the prisoner's head and and he's pulling the trigger and it's not, it's it not firing. He's trying to kill this prisoner. And, and um, it's a really intense scene. And Spielberg leans over to the cinematographer and he goes, did you get it? Did you get it? And he's like, I don't know. I had my eyes closed because <laughs> it was too intense. So in a way, my, my brain closed its eyes a couple of times during the journey. And then we were able to expose it, obviously, later and, and incorporate that into the edit. But, you know, and, and things that I would say, oh, wow, I can't imagine Justin being okay with this when he sees this. And then him saying, "No, it's brilliant. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. You know, deeper." And that was one of the things I was a little worried about going into it. I was like, "Wow, how ugly can we go? Right? At what point is the audience intolerant of that point of his life?" Yeah. Um. And what do we show um, to keep their attention? And I think you know, for me, it was I. It, we had to follow a theme. Um, if it didn't answer that theme we didn't show it. And so the theme being, you know, uh, redemption, um, love, you know, those things were really important to us going into it, all the messages from his music as well. And so if it was too hateful or it didn't work, we just didn't include it. Um, and so ultimately, you know, what we wound up with is a is a narrative. So I broke it up, I wrote a three-act play. So I wrote, um, you know, three structural acts of the story. And then we followed that narrative. So the the screenplay that I wrote, even though, like the Joan Jett doc has a screenwriter credit at the beginning of the film, and I'm in the audience at the premiere of that film last year, and I'm looking around like, what? It's a documentary. You can't have a screenwriter in a documentary. Um, so it discredited the film, that process for me a little bit, because as though Joan Jett had to look at the screenplay and go, okay, yeah, this is what we're going to do. But for me, I had to at least come up with a a structure so that we could follow that and sure enough we had the components enough to make these three 30-minute acts all work and work together um and that was an important component for me as a filmmaker to kind of uh, you know uh, apply that to our editorial um, and with our themes so you don't you know you don't go into it um, thinking you're going to see a film about a drug addict and you're going to see syringes and guys you know, smoking crack and all kinds of bad stuff which you may see in a documentary about someone who's had addiction issues instead we allow, we allow the characters and the family members to discuss it you feel it, you see the damage done you know? so it's post-apocalyptic you, you're walking around the carnage and the destroyed cities and the destroyed lives and potentially the end of the world until you get to the third act and then everything is, is made better and stronger and, and more beautiful so that that to me was sort of the way we we went into it um,
1: I love hearing the process because uh, you know I don't have nearly the amount of stuff to take from but I can sort of relate on a much different level all I have is audio it's so much easier. Like, I am, like, hands down to you, video That's and audio, <laughs> man. Look at or- I mean,
0: look at Orson Welles, right? Yeah. Without him coming from radio, you True. don't have War of the Worlds. True.
1: Yeah, I guess I could look at it that way, too. Like, I'm limited, yeah. in a sense. Like, I only have audio, but you have these two things, which is, uh, you know, kind of something I've wondered, and this is just a basic question. How many hours of actual footage did you guys have to go through?
0: Um we still haven't gone through all of it that's <laughs> no how much way man. um normally when you do you know when you've had a documentary say you've got a, a thousand hours let's say um, when you put it through a process so you get junior editors to go in and catalog everything and they put it in the avid and they put it in files and put it on the drives um this process was a little less organized in that way. I mean we did start about a year ago going I eh, have more than that um going through the drives and trying to find everything that we needed. Some things were spread, like, um, you know, we had, um, you know, a couple other people with drives and some footage from the road. Um, And then we wound up, you know, trying to get all of that material together. Like, we originally started out, you know, four or five years ago thinking we were going to sit down and cut the film in 2013 in 2014 we thought we were actually going to start editing the film then and i'm thankful that we didn't um and then i don't know if you I don't know if you saw there was a another director attached
1: yeah uh, and i don't know his name i just yeah. know like the professor, professor of, of rock rock yeah. yeah
0: um so you know i won't dig into that too much sure but at one point we were looking at some, you know, we're looking at some expenses related to getting the film finished. So he, you know, I guess offered to kind of come in and and, and save the day and do it on his own. And, and I was super busy and slammed with another project and I really just didn't have the, the time to, to really, you know, focus on it. So, so he, he, uh, took a, took a stab at it. Um, and then ultimately as I had wished, it came back, you know, because I built a Rubik's cube. <laughs> you know, it was a, a giant jigsaw puzzle, and there's no one that could have figured that out, right? And he brought it in any director in the world. It ultimately, they would have come back to me and said, Why did you do this? Oh, okay. There were a lot of pieces that needed to come together, but for me, it gave me about a year off of the project, which was vital. Um, but again, getting the drives back, you know, all the footage that we'd filmed, you know, back along the way, and then accumulating that, and then getting that into a place where we could start. Um, you know making some sense of it all you know there's oh gosh maybe 14 15 hours of tour footage that we just really just had to pick the pieces because Mm -hmm. once you've seen you know one show you've seen you know from one camera a lot of those were from one of our uh, Bongani Mblambo he had a one camera right so he's shooting uh, one camera at these shows so you're talking you know backstage on the bus those are the interesting pieces. So ultimately, yeah, you've got, you know, you know, a, you know, a two-hour, three-hour show, and you've got all these other parts. Those parts were important to us. Mm-hmm. So even though there was an enormous body of footage, we knew where to go, you know, dig for the gold, right? So there's still a lot there. I mean, we could have cut, you know, three films. But again, they did, did the, the scenes answer the themes? Did they fit into the structure of the three-act play? So, um, ultimately, that's where we are right now. And there's nothing we could, you know, right now, (laughs) the festival screener that we've finished, um, as of about half an hour ago, (laughs) um, there's nothing you could change, right? I mean, I could imagine, you know, taking a shot or two, like, there was a little bit of the, you know, the lead up to the the beginning of the band, you know, the high school stories. Those are so good, and you don't want to lose that. It's really your you're helping explain the relationships you're helping explain um uh, ryan those great shots of ryan and justin at that party at their parents house and ryan's got this bad haircut and he's playing violin and poor Justin's sitting there on the guitar just like someone freaking shoot me in the head right <laughs> and justin just looks like why am i at this party playing this stupid music Ryan, Ryan is focused on Justin. He's playing the violin with his, you know, bad haircut. He's just staring at Justin like, dude, we're going to make this. This is going to be awesome, right? That passion, you know, that that passion really fueled each other. You can see that in the film and how the, uh, from there, you know, that, that that relationship and that music and that style, uh, you know, has been, you know, a, a solid thing for, for Justin and for the band. Anyway.
1: Well, yeah, one of the things you talked about, or I talked about as well, the film talks about, I should say, is this isn't a documentary about Blue October. However, I do think you do a really good job of giving that good bit of history as much as you could with saying where all this started, where it all came from, because you had to, because we have two brothers. You know, you have Justin and Jeremy. And they were the root of it, you know, or Ryan and Justin, and then Jeremy came in. But you did a great job of, like, building that
0: base and, like, moving forward from that. I make 30-second commercials. So <laughs> I, I have to be able to tell you something quickly in 30 seconds. And so I'm using that, you know, like Conan the Barbarian. remember at the beginning, he was a kid, and he's pushing the rock in a circle. And then one day, he's Arnold. That's been me for 20 years. That's what I've been doing. I've been doing commercials. So um, I feel like I can get you the content you need in 30 minutes to tell you the entire backstory of the band, you know? And that's what we really tried to do. We tried to, and that's hard because it's in their words and it's not scripted. And you, you really have to find the moments that they're talking about and then apply that to the story to try to help tell you where they came from. And you've seen it on his open book tour. And we filmed a lot of that, thinking, okay, we're going to use that as a, as, a, as, a, as a potential structure for the film. And then Justin and I were like, no, mm-mm. It, that'll be a separate piece, by the way. Um, I'm going to be the first to talk about this. But that open book um, show that we shot and cut will be something that will come out later after, awesome. after this film. And
1: that'll go gangbusters, too. Uh, I just yeah, know it.
0: It's so good. But as you mentioned on your review... You've seen that show, and so Justin tends to whitewash the history of things by making light of them, because that's his personality. Mm -hmm. And I do the same thing, you know, especially do it with my wife, like, oh no, I wasn't speeding. (laughs) Um, So, I think, you know, we needed that humor of that show to give you a breath in the film. You needed to go to that sometimes, to hear Justin make light of the situation, before we could dig down and peel the layers of the onion off we both agreed that as important as that was as a sounding board for the rest of the film we wound up not using it as much as we thought we would uh, okay in the end
1: and instead what you got out of it was a whole separate piece which is that's super exciting thanks for sharing oh sure yeah (laughs) that's so cool i think people will be really really interested in that so, you talk a lot about the writing part of it. And I heard you in another interview when you had met Martin Scorsese. When hmm, you were yeah. younger. Oh, yeah. And he told you 19, you're. 19. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you said you were a writer when you met him, right? And yeah. he said, Why are you here?
0: Well, no, I lied to him. I was a, uh, I was directing you okay. know, out of college. Uh, I even had a music video on, on MTV at the time. And, I, and he asked me that, you know. Um, uh, you know, what do you do? And I, I couldn't say a director. <laughs> it's like saying to God that, oh, I'm a deity. No, you don't say to God you're a deity. So I was like, no, I'm a, I just said writer. And he said, oh, no, you should be writing. You shouldn't be here. You should be, you know, writing. And he's right. I think as filmmakers or as artists, we all are committed to that. But you do have to, you know, go to the museum or go listen to other music and, I mean, look at Justin, you know, how prolific he is in listening and supporting other bands and other music and other genres. You have to do that in order to have a healthy artistic life. Um, you know, I teach, I have taught film at UTA, for example, and uh, yeah, I tell the, the, the students, I say, please go to the museums, go, you know, uh, read as much as you can, and then, you know, you'll have a much better Success in your art form being able to pull from these other art forms because you never know what's going to come out of it. Um, Whether you're composing a shot uh, as a cinematographer or as a director or it's a piece of audio that you picked up you know from uh, a poem somewhere you know so I you know I think uh, yeah yeah I think yeah he's right I should have been writing if that's what I was going to do but instead you know um I think directors shoot. I mean, I think you... I've got some, some friends that uh, grew up with Michael Bay, and um, they're not big fans of his... Is hum- They're just like, his entire life, he's been directing us. Like, we go to the beach, and like, no, you put your towel here, you put your towel there, right? He's always been directing us, like a like a guard dog, or it's always snapping at your feet. Um, to his credit, that's what he was put on Earth to do, you know? Um, and that's what I, I feel like... For me, I've always been a storyteller, you know, as a magician when I was a kid. And I worked at Six Flags as a magician, and, and that's very much narrative. So the narrative of that was really important to me. Like, what, why is this going to amaze you? What, what am I going to do that will truly mystify you at the end of this or gut punch you at the end of this? And that's what I, I, I'm striving to do in my, my feature film career now. Um, certainly you can't do it in commercials very well because you've got a product you're trying to sell. And
1: Limited time. A little all bit. All those yeah. things. Yeah. yeah. So when you're working with these guys, how much directing is actually... For a documentary, it's a totally different... It's got to be a totally different headspace.
0: Yes. Um, and by directing, I think you are... And Ridley Scott said this. Um, you are... Are directing the shot you're directing the content that's coming out of that right and and a lot of documentary filmmaking happens in the edit um but i do think you know for me it's really important to as much as i've been talking like 99 of our conversation i've been talking I, I i like to um you know create a space where and this is even with veteran actors like oscar-winning actors i've worked with I, I give them, uh, I call it a duck blind. We just cover the set with black fabric, and they don't see anyone. They don't see crew. They don't see lights. They don't, it's just them and myself, and so it's just us having a conversation, um, unlike this with a coffee shop full of people. <laughs> um, I feel like it gives me the opportunity to let them be real or let them be who they want to be. Same for um, Justin and his mom and his dad and his fellow bandmates and his brother. I felt like you know for us, it was really just creating a real soft space for them to sit and talk and let's let them emote. And I mean, look at him. I mean Jeremy and uh, Ryan and uh, Matt. oh gosh, you know, um, we didn't include, you know, there was a moment where he just we just stopped filming. He couldn't talk. Just broke, you know, really, truly. And, and CB, you know, I mean, who makes CB cry, right? Yeah, right. Um, and he just broke down. They all did. Because it was so sensitive and no one had talked about it. None of them had talked about the drug addiction or the intervention or the rehab. It was very much raw and tender at that point. The only one who kept it together was his mom. You know, um, Justin's mom was able to... Compose herself enough to get through the story to talk about having to send her brother up to the hotel room to check and see if Justin was dead. Um, that's hard for a mom, and she asked me that when we were interviewed. can you imagine that? You have kids? And I said, yeah. And she goes, What's that going to be like? If you have to call one and have him to check to see if the other one's alive? It's hard. So um, that was know.
1: an incredibly powerful moment. Yeah, in the,
0: in the film as well. And you know, uh, if I if I were going to criticize <laughs> from a filmmaker's standpoint, I would probably say, hey, you know, I felt like you know, mom's interview was in the same space, same visual space. But I couldn't have recreated that. Like if I said, okay, I want to interview her again at her home or on a set, they're never going to get there again. You only have one shot at finding that raw emotion. Um, then you can't go back there. So... Um, and something I've learned with a- really great actors, we get it in the first couple of takes, usually with great actors. But in this case, <laughs> it was just creating a tender space that they could have a, they could emote and they could talk about what they wanted to talk about, and and, um, and on the cuff, you know, just prompting them very gently along the way, and just getting down to the core, you know, just really talking about. You know how the band nearly imploded, how it did implode. What did Justin do to you? How? how Where are you at now? You know those things. And that—that's where we wanted to go. Just make it as raw as the music. Make it as honest as the music. Yeah. Um, To me, that's what was really, really important. There should be no gloss, even though it's—it's pretty to look at and it's glossy. The content is raw. The content's real. So to me, it felt like an opportunity to make a 90-minute song that you hadn't heard yet. That's a cool. I, that's awesome. I didn't even think of it that way. That's that's yeah. a
1: really great way to state it. And well, you did a good job. Yeah. I know I keep saying that, but <laughs> you're too nice. <laughs> no, no, it's it's a fantastic piece of film. It's just it's gripping. I, I, you know that that's a overused word. I know, <laughs> but you are engaged. And like I said earlier. I didn't even hear the music so I'm so excited to see it again and see what you add and you know all that stuff but I was so engaged in the story and even knowing so much about it it was like oh and then you learn the different things and I you know we Jason and I were really careful about what we talked about because we don't want to give away a lot we want people to go and watch and be surprised and be like wow how did how the hell did that happen you know and those sorts of things and I completely agree with you like you, you have to have that original recording and that original flow of emotion because if you go back to his mom and you say hey let's talk about that again it's no it's yeah. it's going to be a different story because well it's just she's going to be retelling it yeah right right I mean and you caught such good moments with her with his dad who's I, I don't remember his name Dan yep um mm-hmm. yeah you just I don't know. It's such incredible moments. What was the, this is another generic question, I guess I'm describing or my own questions, but what was the hardest part then for you in a whole In looking back on this whole thing? And I know you're not done yet, so it might be a preemptive question, but.
0: Editing. Um, Editing's really difficult um, because you're, you are trying to tell a story that doesn't exist on paper necessarily, even though we did have it, you know, structured. Um, I mean that uh, that's honestly the the most difficult thing because you're fully committed. I'm turning down work. I'm I'm not spending time with my young family. I'm I'm um, committed. And committed in the hours <laughs> and the bad food you're eating and this is just <laughs> the stupidity of it all and experimenting and you know just trying to make that show we splintered off into two groups so i had uh, worked over at 3008 which is a editorial facility here in dallas and we you know we were begging for some hard drives and some footage that showed up a little late <laughs> for us um uh, not by anyone, anyone's fault. It just was difficult to get you know some of the scenes that we needed. Um, and that, you know, having that deadline of the screening was a really important thing for me. Because even though it was a work-in-progress screening, it was a gun pointed at, at, at our heads saying, you have to be ready. You have to have something to show by this date, which made everyone perk up. Everyone, right? So, I'm you know, I'm in contact with Matt. I'm in contact with Ryan with Jeremy. I'm like, okay it's coming we have to have these things I have to have these photos right and then it's us you know scrambling to make it all work you know we get the home movies and we've got to get those into you know there's our lot of like VHS you know tapes and we've got to get those transferred so that we can edit with them. and, and um, so the editorial thing is far more complicated on a documentary than it would be a feature because on a feature you know, everything's on the drive you've got script notes you've got um you know you've got a, a, a good game plan and everything was shot in the correct sequence of of the scenes that you needed to shoot them in you can move them around in the avid according to scene number not in a dock in a dock you're literally pulling in elements like a gardener and you're like oh this will be good this will be good yeah and what you don't have you you i'd hoped that i could fulfill that early on by shooting the concert scenes and Getting some amazing content, you know, with the band that I need it. Without that, who cares, right? You got to have the performances. You got to have, um, and then we had this great wealth of music videos, um, all these great, you know, music videos that had, that they've been doing for years. Um, so th- those were the lifesavers as well to be able to have those within the theme, the visual theme, and the audio themes to fill those in there. Okay, uh, yeah.
1: How many videos have you done with him? It's is it just fear?
0: Um, I did home. You did home. Also oh, okay. a ten million dollar ten million views. It's not ten million dollar video. That's <laughs> a very low budget, uh, but it's pushing ten million views. Home is a great video as well. I yeah, agree. Thanks. I had um, I had worked on that being a lot more abstract. Like we did this really complicated, really cool scene of Justin floating above these leaves in a forest like these wet leaves and he's just sort of floating on his back in this this growth of trees and to me you know in these uh, old you know 60s you know eight millimeter movies that found and and these abstract scenes in it with a surreal night lighting through these forest walls and it just got too weird right it got way off the point of what Justin wanted. And so, you know, we sort of harnessed it back to, pulled it back into the reality of their lives and their home moments and became a lot sweeter in the end. Again, you know, it's it's art. It's perspective. It's, you know, it's a very subjective art form, I think, music videos. So, yeah, it's done home bleed out. Oh, okay. Then Bleed Out, um, which was one of the first videos. That was the one that we had shot another, completely other That's version. I was just going to ask you. I, yeah. I
1: heard him talk about, like, they did a video of it, and then he got back and watched it and was like, I don't like that at all. And yeah. he did a completely yeah, different video. it was the
0: wrong message. Okay. You know, it was the wrong message from, okay. from the outside looking in. So we, you know, um, I mean, we wound up doing something really fun, I felt. And, and you know, he's, it's so much fun to see Justin perform um you know I, I gave them hell for uh, calling you you know the video video when they're in the space uh, suits right yeah and i was like dude uh to paul i was like how do you put justin inside a space suit and for a music video I'm like you gotta let that guy go you can't harness him back you can't put him in a seatbelt. you gotta let that guy perform and be thank you um you know amazing as fun as that video is you know
1: There's two videos for that one, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. there's the other one where they're like walking down the street and these weird things keep happening. Yeah. It's like an angel type character. Yeah. Okay.
0: My treatment was um, also abstract. It started on an elevator with like a hundred people, this massive elevator. Um, And as the elevator kept going up, it got smaller and then it became just rickety stairs up through the clouds. So it was metaphoric for... Dying, going to heaven, more or less. Okay. Um, interlaced with quite a of other, with a bit of other stuff. As a crazy. fan, this is a this this just hit me.
1: As a fan of their music and of Justin's, when you listen to their stuff, and whether or not, well, no, just when you listen to their music. When, when I hope you're happy came out. Do you instantly start thinking of, oh, I could make this. I could make a video. Oh, this would be cool. Is that is that how your brain works, or?
0: Yeah. Um. In fact, yeah. There's a video for that album that that I've kind of been noodling with. So, you know, yeah, definitely. Usually one song will stand out. Okay. Yeah, for me. I'm so wanting to know what yeah. song it is, but yeah, I, I can't, want you to hold it yeah, close, too. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's a really, I mean, um, I think it could be, a, I'm, 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 I'm waiting for the new album because... Justin keeps saying, no, 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 no. You want to do something off the new album. Okay. So I'm not doing, I'm not even talking to them about it. I'm not even pitching them concepts until we release the film. That's so Because cool. as far as I'm concerned, they they're, they should have me on 24-7 on until the film's out, you know? I don't <laughs> yeah. need to be moonlighting off doing music videos for them. <laughs> like, why aren't you out promoting the film?
1: <laughs> so when you, another thing I was thinking too, which was really interesting, and I don't know if you would do this or how this, if, the, if this is a usual thing that happens, you saw with a crowd, with an audience, the first time anybody else saw this movie. Besides, Justin had talked about seeing it a few nights before or a week before or something. What was that like for you being there and everybody else is
0: seeing your work for the very first time? Well, you know, there's always a... Uh, you're in there on a um a mechanical fear as well like what's gonna you know does the projector gonna break is the did, did we qc for example we had two blu-rays one um had some glitches and um so we changed that out to the new one that was that there was a couple still a couple of digital issues with the uh, formatting on the blu-ray the mastering on the blu-ray so you know, I was just, I, I was worried that some, by some mistake, that the wrong Blu-ray, it's like, so there's always that. And I don't care who you are. I remember Scorsese saying uh, he and Thelma Schumacher, who was his editor, were screening Raging Bull. And at the end of the first, you know, there's two platters for film, right? For a two-hour film. At the end of the first platter, there was a sequence of 16 millimeter uh, of uh, home movies that they'd done of the boxer. And it was really the happiest time of his life when he's a parent and he's a dad and there's really fun home movies that they'd shot in 16 and handheld. The projectionist before the premiere in New York took that and edited it out. He thought that had been a mistake at the lab that they had accidentally put that scene on this beautiful film so he just cut it out. So they're watching the premiere and he's like oh (laughs) shoot right? that scene's not even there like who cut it? So there's a mechanical fear when you're in a screening like that that just makes sure everything technically goes right Um, and then we were able to listen to it was really nice to hear some of the laughter and some of the things that happened supported my opinions Um, you know with management with the band too like you know I felt like you know this should be there and to hear applause or to hear laughter you're like oh see so see remember when we were at the screening and everyone enjoyed that so we should leave that in so it helped support me Um, artistically and politically Um, but at the same time you know just seeing all the people with wet faces at the end of the show was so uh, heartwarming and even you know one of our dear friends uh, who is a a fantastic uh, filmmaker on her own um, Melina Kane was there and she you know coming up crying at the end of the film and um, it was really uh, inspirational because she'd seen a rough cut you know back in Thanksgiving we had a rough cut and I'd let her see that and I said, please don't judge us on this because this is so raw. And for her to have seen us naked at that point in Thanksgiving and then to have seen her reaction in April um, that was so genuine and so sweet reassured us that we were on the right path. You know? Okay. Yeah. So that's what was important. It was an actual physical uh, emotional interaction with an audience was really important.
1: Yeah, and it was so cool that you guys stayed after, you know, for a little bit, took the questions, got the input, and you you could tell how everybody was moved. I'm sure you felt it.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's sweet. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Because you're, you know, just hope, you know? I mean, you see the remarks on the fear video, right? And it's so heartwarming. Um, there was a, a cam, a, a film crew, um, a, soci- a friend of ours uh, uh, who died of cancer, who had been writing posts on that fear video for, you know, for a couple of years about how of the 10 million views, he thought he was 5 million of those, right? <laughs> just giving him hope day by day. And he, you know, just a few months ago passed away. Oh, I'm sorry. But thank you. But you, 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 you don't know, you know, um, you're just reading those words and you don't really feel how it's touching lives but in the audience, you know, in the theater, you can feel it. You can really feel the energy. Um, it's definitely like seeing one of their shows live, you know? That's you where I was feel just, it. Yeah. yeah.
1: In my head, that's where I'm going. I'm like... Tch. Yeah. You go to a concert, and no matter how many you've been to, like, it's just this, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I can never describe it fully.
0: Yeah. And it's just better now. I mean, as good as he was, you know, 10 years ago... Um, He wasn't the same person He was not He was was just You know Obviously with drugs And and everything he was going through um, But still then It was great Yeah But now It's just so much better What does it mean to you then
1: Somebody that's going to watch this That might watch this Five Ten years from now And It might be a snap It might be the The thing that they go Shit He did it I can do
0: it We've seen, you know, I mean, you've seen comments where I had a handful of sleeping pills um, in my right hand and I pushed play on a Blue October disc with my left hand and I dropped the pills. You did? No, 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 no. Not me. I'm saying you've seen this. You've oh, seen these comments. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. You I'm you was like, this. no, no, <laughs> no. No, I haven't no. seen you do that. Okay. No, no. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So you think, okay, well, the music clearly has kept people from doing horrible things to themselves in some respects. That is, uh, you know, something we talk about internally between you know Paul and Swin, Justin and the editors and King, uh, producer, and myself. We've all talked about it repeatedly. Like, hey, you know, hey, if it, it doesn't sell one DVD, if it doesn't, you know, get out in front of the public, if it just saves one person's life, if one person can say, hey, I'm going to put this disc on, or I'm going to play this on iTunes, or I'm going to watch this on my hard drive. And anytime I'm feeling down, I can go to this. Because, you know, there's always that one movie. When you're depressed, you're going to put on Star Wars A New Hope, and you're going to be smiling before the Death Star blows up, and you're going to be good to go. Um, (laughs) Was that some personal insight? Personal, totally. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, So I think, you know, there are are films for me, you know, that that give me joy that I can go back and watch. Like, I'm not going to watch the Amy Winehouse documentary again. I can't do it it's too too strong it's too hard for me to watch that because the movie lets you fall in love with her and then she you know she dies and it's just too much so in this case we have this great opportunity to tell a story um about a rock star who survived and is surviving and it's so current and you saw we had to you know blur out blue's face you know and you really once you see that because that was a because we edited this great scene and Justin's like, no, we can't, we can't let anyone see her in the film. I was like, oh, well, we'll blur out. And guess what? When you watch it, you're like, oh, this is happening now. Like, I'm in it. Like, you as an audience, now you're engaged in the, 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 the the, the behind the scenes, you know, drama that's still um, happening. So, you know, I felt like, um, you know, all of that's, you know, something we, we want to give the fans we want to give them uh, a, 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 a film that they can go to you can watch 20 minutes or watch the whole film if you want you know just to give them something as another option as opposed to just the music so to me it's another well as you heard Justin at the end of the, of the screening say you know I hope I can take this out with me when I talk to um, you know recovery centers and, and, and people in recovery to you know uh, to, to screen it and I was like well yeah let's wait till after the You know, theatrical run, and after you've sold a few of these, then we'll do that. (laughs) But still, you hope it affects lives. You hope it 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 just affects one life. Um, If it does that, then great, right? Yeah. No, it was worth it.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. That's it's just the one because you don't. I've said it. I think I've said it on the podcast, and it's a theme of my life too. It's like I don't know where that one small pebble in that one small pond will do. I don't know what wave that will make. So I just do it. And if it's the right thing to do, it's another thing I've learned myself from Justin, is just do the next right thing. If that's the right thing to do, whatever it is, if it's affecting somebody right there or not, you don't know. But if it's the next right thing, just do it. It's such an easy thing. It's easy to say. I know. Sometimes it's hard to do. Sometimes it's expensive to do. Uh, Well, that that could be true, too. Yeah. What has, I'm curious, you've obviously gotten close to all of these guys. What has your relationship been with... Justin, what's the progress
0: been? Um, For me, I mean, it would have been easy um, for me to have said, you know, I'm this huge fan of yours, or you know, I think we can do something together that's important or bigger than us. I think a lot of that was implied and because of the fact that he knew me from writing treatments for him early on he was aware of me he was aware of my work he was we were mutually respectful of each other you know like um I know just recently he was like hey so what's TJ Khaled like right because I've worked with him you know a few times last year or what's Fergie like, right? And so I was like, okay, buddy, all right. <laughs> so I've got some stuff that you want to know. That's good. As opposed to me wanting to know all about you. Um, so we've had a great brotherhood. You know, it's been very, very full of love and nurturing. And, um, um, you know, Justin texted me in the middle of the night, uh, February or so, right? And he's just feeling it. You know, and I've, I happen to be up, um, you know, midnight, one o'clock, something like that. Um, we just have this really sweet conversation that you would have with a brother. I'm an only child, so um, so maybe he's one of the closest things I'll ever have to to a brother um, in that respect. And we don't ever I don't you know other than maybe a few texts back and forth. I don't infringe on his life, and you know, anytime he texts texts me or calls me. I don't care, you know. If my wife's in delivery, having a baby, I'm gonna, I'm gonna excuse myself. I'm gonna take the call, honey. It's Justin. <laughs> it's like a call from the president. Well, maybe, you know, maybe more Justin than the president. But yeah, um, let's go with that. Yeah, but he is, you know, he's just like a real. He's a treasure. I mean, to me, he's just this um, amazing, um, creative. It's like having Pablo Picasso as your friend, you know. Yeah, I can imagine what that would have been like, um, and that's what I love about it. I mean, you think about that too. You think about the great, you know, impressionists. You know, they would hang together, you know, um, and Van Gogh and Cezanne and Renoir and Degas. You know, they all would go drink together and commiserate. And um, so I think that part of our friendship has been an artistic component. And what it did was it allowed him to trust me to do this. Because, as you know, they're independent and they are absolute control freaks over their content, what they put out. You know, yeah, yeah, I'm surprised he's so prolific on Instagram, but it's all good, you know? And sure, he's very thoughtful about that, what he releases to the public. So, you know, to me, having him give me his trust and not really see the film until a few days before that screening was horrifying for me and even you know we were a week or two out and i'd given them a window of time to get to see it to make some you know any adjustments that they needed to make before before our work in progress screening and i was late i was late getting them that that screener there was a lot of tension but i think because of our our relationship and the trust um as nervous as justin probably was i was 20 times more (laughs) nervous But uh, I knew he felt that, and I knew he was, you know, going to be okay with it and cool with it. And I'm not making just arbitrary decisions based on, you know, what I want to to say. Um, But yeah, I mean, documentary filmmaking. You know, a deer is walking through the woods and steps on a on a on a stick, and you cut to a bird turning its head. Well, you've said in those two shots, the bird has got, you know, great hearing. So the moment you edit two shots together in a documentary, you're telling a story, and it's your perspective. Like you know what we did, you know, um, with Jeremy and Justin about that weave between the song when they start singing that beautiful song um, from "Argue with a Tree" about brothers. Yeah. And you're already, brother. yeah, you're already in the middle of this narrative about Jeremy's you know conversation about how you know abused he felt during the situation. And then he loses it, and then Justin loses it, and you hear the end of that song, and you're like, gosh, got punched, you know? Yeah. Um, and he had to trust me. He didn't, you know, he hadn't seen that until the the uh, the screening. Um, that's a lot of trust. Yeah. That's a lot of trust. That's a ton. for Especially for them, especially for this band. Um, Somebody who is, like you
1: said, and he's admitted that, he's mm-hmm. a control freak. Yeah. This is his life. This is his story. Of course he's, he, he just he wants to have his fingers in it as much as he can.
0: Put your headphones on. Listen to into the ocean loud. It's perfect. Like he killed himself on that album. Like every sound, every note, every every anything. And he does that now. We had a a <laughs> 20 hours of them recording this new album. um, um and uh, Rodney Pence, who's fantastic, has been on the road with him, shooting a lot of stuff for them, also contributed an enormous amount. So very thankful to him for this. And he shot the entire recording of the album. And they, they called it No Cell Phones was the name of the, 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 the hard drive. I was like, what? what does that mean? It's Justin saying, you can't bring your cell phones in to the recording session because we're here to do this, right? And I was like, hell yeah, awesome for you. Um, there are a few filmmakers out there that are like that can't come on set with a cell phone you know Um, yeah so i I totally respected that we didn't incorporate a lot of that in uh, not much at all into the narrative again if it didn't answer the theme if we're not uh if the clip didn't drive the story then you might take your eyes off of it if we're suddenly in a you know a recording studio we did sit with him and let him backstage, you know, you saw him kind of write, we're watching him write music. To me, that was an important part of the theme. You have to know he's a great songwriter. Um, so seeing the band in the recording studio didn't turn me on. It didn't really answer the narrative themes at all. Um, so we, there were a lot of footage that was just there that we're, you know, will be there for posterity or for another project, but not this story. Yeah, where does it go? It just stays wherever it is? <sighs> well, you know they keep everything, um, and they have hard drives, and they have uh, they have this footage, you know, all cataloged, and they'll they, you know they they'll have other things that they'll release, I'm sure later on. Okay. Yeah. Great. Like you said, this isn't a story about October. it's really a story about Justin's recovery.
1: Yeah. So they yeah. can use it in other avenues as a band, perhaps sure. in the future yeah. as well. Yeah. Well, that's cool. That's I mean, what a great benefit to them as well. Yeah. You. I mean, sounds like you guys got. A ton of stuff. That's really noisy. (laughs) That one's noisy. Yeah, that's okay.
0: Yeah, that's not a blender full of margaritas. I think it's a no juice. (laughs) Yeah,
1: (laughs) where I'm as a fan, what do you think? And this might be a tougher question for you to answer, but why why have they not seen more mainstream success in the last five years? because we had and you covered that really good and that that's what that was stuff i didn't know as a as a longtime fan the reason they kind of fell off there with approaching normal you know in around about 2009 you did a great job with that i loved learning that in the documentary but now what is what is what are, what is going on why are we not what do you think
0: it's a good question i mean obviously we, we've been on the road with him a lot and um you know I shot them uh, in Salt Lake City, let's say, five years ago. So that same venue, and it wasn't sold out, that show. So that same venue um, two weeks ago sold out, mm-hmm. like Standing Room Moment. I think it's coming back for them. I think, uh, like, um, you know, we unfortunately, um, as a nation, obliterated 90% of all the cities in Japan during the Second World War, like just burnt them to the ground. And they've come back more beautiful than most of the you know, modern American cities. Um, but it was a slow process. So I think, and here's my, I'm going a long way around on this analogy. <laughs> I think that his destructiveness and his self-destructiveness that was happening even during Argue with the Tree, right? You talk to King and those guys, they're like, no, he's using... While, he, while we're filming him for Argue with the Tree, he's doing drugs, right? So that destructiveness has been a component the whole time. Um, and it ultimately caught fire and destroyed the city. And you're just now seeing it come back. right? The genius has been there. The songwriting has been there. The love, the compassion, the family, the, the artistry, the musical skills have all been there. And, you know, they weren't necessarily um, maybe ready for it when it all happened for them, you know. Um, Obviously, you know, we talked about him breaking his leg twice. Yeah. How unfortunately unfortunate that was. But I think, you know, Justin's perspective would now be to say that was, you know, that was a God thing. You know, whatever got in my path at that point needed to happen for me to be the man and the artist I am today. My theory is they 're about to go big, like as good as this last album was, I thought it was brilliant and better than the album before, um, but I think this next one is going to be uh, even exponentially better, and it's it's his perspective and his purity and where he's coming from now artistically. I think the audience is going I think this film will help I think. Them being an indie band is is tough, but I think the market's ready for that, and I do think that they're you know I our hope is he's you know back on the talk show circuit this next year, um, and getting some some of those guys you know Jimmy Kimmel to have him back on um, with this film as being a component of that or being some perspective on hey you know I was on the show then. I'm recovered And here's You know My new song My new band So I think I think that That there's fame Is coming again I think I think the rebirth uh, Is just taking A little bit of time Because it naturally dies you know? Sure You can't just get up Out of the ashes And say Yeah I think this is going to be A different audience I hope Yeah you really hope That their music come. Com- I mean you've seen it Like oh wow I discovered this band How many times Have people said that on Online You're like Really? You just discovered them? And then they start listening to all the music. Um, and they're like, oh my gosh, these guys turned me around. And I don't care. I mean, we've all had, we're human. You're, you're born and you've had loss. You've lost your mom's womb. You, you, you move on from, you know, fourth grade. Your grandmother dies. We've all had loss. And that's what the, this music does for you. It, it heals that up. It deals with it, honestly. You know, you're not being fed a bunch of commercial crap you know exactly what you're getting when you get into this music and I feel like that's going to be something that will be really compelling for the next generation and Justin's, you know, he's I, he and I joked last time we were, we were filming I said, you know, my dad played with Willie Nelson and Willie and I got to meet uh, again a few years ago and a uh, really emotional <laughs> night and here he is, being his age as a Texas musician and, and he's killing it and performs every night he can, Right? And that's what Justin wants, and I feel like he'll hit his groove with uh, with his audience, with a whole new audience soon. I do. I really feel like that. You can't, it can't you can't ignore this, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: there. I, that's a great way to put it. You, it's hard to ignore. Yeah. If you get near it, it grabs you. Yeah. Yeah. So one last thing, then.
0: What's next for Nori Ivan? Ah, good question. Um, <laughs> um, I have an NDA, so I can't talk about a film no 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 yeah. No, they have got a new one that I'm, I'm working on that's a pretty big uh, sequel to a very popular film um, in the 80's um, um, I've got one that I've written uh, about the theft of the Mona Lisa in 1911 which is really amazing riveting true story um, called Six Painted Ladies they, they created five forgeries of the Mona Lisa and pre-sold them and then extracted the painting from the museum this is all true Uh, It's just an incredible story no one knows about And a lot of fun, not a documentary, a drama uh, uh, Comedic drama, rather So it's a heist film Um, And then um, I've got a a series That I'm doing with the Tom Clancy writer Mike Madden Um, It's really, I think, going to be really cool About a little uh, It's science fiction, but it's modern It happens today And, um, you know, a couple of other Projects there's the keyboard. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know more narrative. Um, I'm okay. I, I've got a, a commercial company with young filmmakers and directors that'll be sort of coming in and replacing me, and uh, it'll allow me to go out and do more, you know, long format and narrative, which is why I'm I'm on Earth. So that's I love what that I you do. found it. That's yeah. beautiful. Good for you. Congrats. <laughs> so any more documentaries? Would you do another documentary? I would love to. Um, I'm doing one on organ transplants right now and people waiting for organs, which is maybe a series okay. um, that we're pitching to Netflix and HBO. So it'll be like an eight-episode series cool. where you're meeting people um, who are waiting. And learning about the donor families and the lives that are changed by uh, this life giving, you know, yeah, drift. anyway.
1: Well, yeah, you've got a knack for telling a story, so <laughs> thank you. Well, I gotta say, on the recording, thank you so much. This was an amazing pleasure. I can't tell you, oh, like how much. much it was. I mean, it's just great to talk to you, you're incredibly easy to talk to, well, thank and then you. to delve into this blue stuff and um. hear how big a fan you are
0: too yeah no love your voice love your show um obviously we have common interests you know yeah we both love this band and love love justin you know well thank you yeah thank you that means a lot yeah likewise thank you
1: all right i'm everybody's gonna go see the film i know it so (laughs) (laughs) well we are
0: preaching to the choir aren't we (laughs) yeah Uh, we are (laughs) yeah this fan base is pretty remarkable yeah yeah Um, it is thanks again all right thank you all right
1: I want to end this episode first by giving another special thank you to Nori Niven for all his time and the great insight into this incredible documentary. He truly has found a special purpose in the world, telling stories through film, and beyond that he just has this special way about him that lets you know when you're in his company that he truly does care for those around him. It was so great talking and sharing that space with him. And one last thing, I cannot stress enough how powerful this film is. If you have not already done so, get over to getbackup.tv, where the film will be available on May 21st. This is the second full episode of Just Sway that I've done on this film, and I feel like there will be more talk to come as the film becomes widely available. I hope this episode found you well out there in the world amidst everything that's going on right now, and if not, that's okay too, but I hope you were able to find maybe a couple few smiles in there. Maybe, just maybe... You found something in there that gave you some hope and something to look forward to. I appreciate you listening so much and until the next time you hear my voice, keep graceful dancing. And you're a superstar on your
0: own And I'm looking over your shoulder Getting older And God only knows Here And you're a superstar